SR. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. A father's greatest desire is that he be respected by his wife and trusted by his kids. Each of these desires is facing near catastrophic destruction. I'm afraid from assault of a postmodern world. A God-despising culture in hot pursuit of self. And since the time has come, the judgment has to begin, is going to begin at the house of God. How should we, as men and fathers, then live? You know, most men desire, but few decide. Even fewer follow decisions with diligence that change destiny. And our response to this dilemma, and it is in our culture today, on the cusp of Christ's second coming, is going to require us to not only desire, but decide to truly restore our faith in our Heavenly Father. You say, really? I have faith in my Heavenly Father. Are you sure? Would your children know that? Does your wife know that? Would your grandchildren really know that? Whether or not we want to leave a legacy that lasts will depend on at least seven essential truths that are going to bring us to triumph in the end. And the only condition is that we have, through faith and patience, men inherit the promises. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at those seven triumphant truths, and I'm glad that you've joined us this conversation, as always. With ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms my wife and I, just last evening, had one of the most enjoyable and precious seasons of our lives for just about an hour with another set of grandparents. The grandparents of some of our grandchildren. That's right. We got together on the spur of the moment because we had a mutual concern, a great concern about our grandchildren and our children and the challenges that they face. So we decided, you know what? We are going to get together and we're going to pour out our hearts together and see what God does with it. Well, I tell you, it was one of the most blessed times that my wife and I have had in a long time. It was wonderful to experience the clear, passionate concern and expression of what is happening, the challenges that are faced by our children and by our grandchildren today. Do you realize the challenges that are out there? Friends, they're tremendous. And they're turning the tide not for good, but for ill. And so... Grandparents getting together, fathers, grandfathers, expressing the hope and the vision and the purpose and the grief, just like Father God, expressing the grief over his children and grandchildren. Of course, God has no grandchildren. He only has children, those who truly follow him. And so as I approach the program here today to talk about Fathers, 
and faith in our Heavenly Father and what it takes for a man, a father, and a grandfather to truly be a godly father in this generation. I feel it viscerally deep in my heart, in my spirit. Having just witnessed two sets of grandparents and two passionate grandfathers coming together and saying, we have to join forces, we have to do this together. Can you sense that? Well, today on Viewpoint, I hope that as we continue on with the program today, talking about the matter of fathers and fatherlessness, you see, fatherlessness is not just the absence of a father. Did you know that? It's not just the absence of a father in the home. It's the absence of genuine biblical fathering in the home. That's the biggest problem. Not to mention the fact that the absence of fathers in the home is not a big problem. It is a huge problem. Let's take a look at what that might look like quickly. As the nuclear family is continuing to dissolve in the United States, the number of children who grew up without a father continues to increase. According to the latest statistics, 2023 data, almost 20 million children without a full-time father in the home in America, about one in four, 18 million live without a father in their home. Children living without a father is the second most common living arrangement in the United States, which has doubled since 1968. In 1968, 11% of American children lived with their mothers only. But by 2020, that number had increased to 21%. One study found that 8,334 participant children living in single-family homes, 82.5% lived with their mother only. 82.5%. 30% of single fathers and absent fathers are never married individuals. 51% of single fathers and 30% of absent fathers are divorced. In fact, divorce is the number one cause. Well, divorce and unwed pregnancy, the two driving forces of fatherlessness in America. That's true. There's no argument about it. Everybody agrees. Men without fathers made up 70% of the prison population serving long-term sentences in 1996, and 80% of all prison inmates come from fatherless homes. Children raised without a father are 20 times more likely to be incarcerated. Of all youth suicides, 63% come from single mother homes. Kids with absent fathers are five times more likely to commit suicide, and of all teen pregnancies, 70% happen in fatherless homes or homes where the father is not functioning truly as a biblical father. In 2021, almost 18% of white Caucasian children live with a single mother only. At the same time, almost 25% of Hispanic children lived with a single mother only, but 43% of black African-American children lived with a single mother only. Almost three times that of their white counterparts. What's going on? You see, fatherlessness is telling us the tale. It's telling us the tale 
of all the statistics in our country today, nearly 70% of births to black mothers are outside of wedlock. And when you add to that the fact that the highest divorce rate is among the black community, you have a prescription for near cultural, relational, and family disaster. So, there we have a summary of statistics, right up tight and and personal, right here, 2023, to help us to understand what really is going on in America. But maybe we should put it this way. Well, the way I'm going to share with right after this break, friends. It's shocking, but it's true. Shocking, but true. And it ought to grab every one of our minds and our hearts as we continue on today on Viewpoint, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The effects of broken families have been staggering in our country. As you know, the simple truth, America's greatness relies upon the strength of American families. Stable families form stable communities, and stable communities create a stable nation. Maybe that's one of the reasons why our current president and his wife are doing everything they can to pervert. Yes, you heard me correctly, pervert the very foundations for stable families in our country to normalize perversion, distortion, in order to capitulate to the demands of a godless culture. That's where we are today here on Viewpoint. But our listeners here on this program, for the most part, profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, at least hopeful followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why they listen to the program. They listen to the program because they want to not only be informed, but they want to be transformed, and they want to be encouraged and strengthened to prepare the way of the Lord in their own lives and those around them for history's final hour. And that's what we do right here on Viewpoint. So here is the latest. Listen very carefully to this profound statement. The United States has the highest rate of children living in single-parent households of any nation in the world. At a rate of 23% of children living with one parent and no other adults in the United States stands over three times the world average. Over three times the world average. What does that say about the condition of our country? What does that say about why we have the kinds of problems that we have, the social problems that we have, the cultural problems that we have, the breakdown of society, the breakdown of this, the breakdown of that, what is it that we can look to? The absence of fathers. 
That's what we can look to. And so it is not just Christian observers. In fact, it's primarily secular observers that are saying that the number one cause of the statistics that we complain of and look to in our country that are causing us such problems is actually fatherlessness. So that having been said, and realizing that we're not just talking to uh, the general uh, American populace as a whole, but primarily to professing Christians, who at least theoretically would be horrified by these kinds of statistics. Except, of course, to the fact that the Christian community, particularly the Bible Belt of America for the past 25 years, has been a co-participant in the complete breakdown of the family, having had a divorce rate 50% higher than the nation as a whole, which is the number two cause of fatherlessness in the country. Just considering, just thinking, just thinking out loud, just saying as they say. So, even for children with a father present in the home, the average school-age boy only spends about 30 minutes each week in one-on-one conversation with his dad. And the same boy on average, is going to spend about 44 hours per week watching TV, playing video games, and surfing the Internet, or with his buddies who are educating him falsely about sexual relationships and other values in the country. And roughly 70% of teenage pregnancies come from women raised in fatherless homes. And these same women... Girls have significantly higher abortion rates than women raised by both a father and a mother. And that's true in the church. That's true in the church, friends. So what are we going to do about it? That's the issue. As someone said, you cannot listen to Viewpoint long and not be changed. And uh, we're here not just to provide information, but we provide the information so that we can have the proper biblical application that brings about transformation, change you can believe in. And that's what we want to talk about for the balance of the program here today. So that means we have to look at the Father himself. God purposely chooses to identify, to self-identify himself as a father. But he says this through the prophet Malachi. If I be a father, then where's my honor? If I be a father, then where is my honor? Now, here's the problem. To the extent that we are not honoring God as father in America today... Yes, even in our churches. Because if we were, we would obey him. But we don't obey him because we don't honor him as father. And we don't much like him as father. We think we like his son because his son is sweet and nice. Or in the Catholic Church, they like Mary because she's even sweeter than Jesus. I mean, I'm just putting it the way it really is. That's the way it really is, and that's why... The so-called Holy Mother is sought rather than the Son or the Father. Don't much like the Father. But Jesus said he was the express image of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've got a real problem with our understanding of the Father. If he be a Father, then where is his honor? Why is it we have such a hard time honoring God? 
as father. I want to suggest something to you. Listen very carefully. To the extent that we do not honor and obey God as father, our children do not honor and obey us as father. I want you to think about that. To the extent that grandparents, grandfathers do not honor and obey, you can't say you honor the father unless you're willing to obey him, because then you're disrespectful. So the disrespect, the dissing of fathers and grandfathers in our generation, yes, even in the church, is primarily due to our dissing of God as Father and his expectations in our lives. That truth alone should be transformative in the life of every man listening today. If you really think about it, if you really ask the Lord to apply that in your life, it would be transformative. Because it would cause us to start rethinking what we're saying, what we're doing, how we're behaving, the values that we're holding, the time that we spend or don't spend in the word, the time that we spend or don't spend training up our sons and our daughters or our grandchildren in the nurture and ways of the Lord. I'm not talking about sending people to church. That's a good thing, but that's not what God is really looking for. He's looking for men, fathers, grandfathers, who will take the reins of leadership as a father, deputized by God the Father, to raise up sons and daughters for Father God to prepare the way of the Lord and his kingdom till he comes. That's what our job is. And when I began to realize that, uh, almost right away, when our first daughter was born 50 years ago, I'll tell you, uh, it changed everything. My wife would tell you, it changed everything. I took very seriously this matter of raising up, and it began when she was just a little toddler. In fact, before she was a toddler, when she was just a little babe. As a neonate, they say, a little babe. I would carry her. I would walk with her after law practice. I'd get back and uh, have supper with uh, my wife and kids, and then I would carry my daughter and walk with her and talk with her. And share God, the Father's, love for her. And not just love, but principles. You say, why would you do that for a little baby? Because they have ears to hear, perhaps even more than yours. That's why the Bible says to train up your children when they're young. If you wait too long, it's too late to say you're sorry. No, we need to do it when they're young. When their minds and their hearts are formative. When they're willing to trust our word as an expression of God's word. If they can. I tell you, it makes a huge difference. It has guided my entire life. This sense of fathering, 
this sense of the responsibility that God has given to each one of us as men to truly be the Father's hand extended to our kids and grandkids. There is no higher calling. Being a pastor is only a further expression or extension of that. And unfortunately, many pastors are failing in that regard because they're more interested in pleasing the people than they are in pleasing God. That's the problem, you see. Now, I want to share something else with you before we get into these seven triumphant truths that are going to change your life if, indeed, uh, we're willing to embrace them. And that is that the Bible tells us twice that when a nation or people begin to collapse, there are two things that are characteristic. And they go together hand in hand. Here they are. Women and children will rule over them. Women and children will rule over them. Do you make the connection now? Do you see what's happening? Women and children will rule over them. Why is that? Because the fathers have abandoned their responsibility. They've gone AWOL. They have either gone out because they've been lost in war, or in our culture, they've been divorced out of the family, or have just refused to do the will of God. They have no vision. And so their families perish, and somebody has to step in. And guess who gets to step in? Mom. But mom is not capable of doing what a father is called to do. Just not capable to do it. She can do her very best, but she still can't do it. And we can give all the kudos we want to a mom that tries to step into the gap. It's not complaining about mom. It's complaining about dads. And that's why... For the past, I would say, 25, 30 years in our country, the number one cry of Christian women in America is this. Why can't or won't my husband be the spiritual leader of our home? Why can't or won't my husband be the spiritual leader of our home? Question, are you? Now, here is what I sense that God called me to do to help respond to this problem. And that is to write a book to address the hearts of the fathers. Your heart, my heart, all of our hearts. And in fact, it's called Hearts of the Fathers. Leaving a legacy that lasts. It's a hardbound book. And uh, uh, it's a $23 book. And it's on our website. Right now, I can't remember whether it's 18 or $15, somewhere in there. Uh, whatever it is, it is, but it's a good deal, and it will change your life. Hardbound book, right now, right there on the website, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. This book is not about take me out to the ball game and buying peanuts and cracker jacks and uh, singing the national anthem at a baseball game or a football game or whatever. This is about truly becoming a father 
from God's viewpoint. That's what's missing, friends. You can blow all the ball games you want, and your kids will still never fulfill God's purpose for their life. And neither will you. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but that's not what God's calling is. God's calling is that we truly be like Father God in raising our sons, our daughters, and our grandchildren. So how do we catch that vision? Most men will say, or many men will say, well, you know what, I just don't know what to do. They'll wring their hands, I just don't know what to do. My wife seems to know what to do, so I do. I default to her. Really? Is that what you're going to tell God on Judgment Day? Well, I just defaulted to my wife. You've got to be kidding, my friends. Do you realize the judgment that's going to come upon men and grandfathers for saying that? Oh, I guess we need those seven triumphant truths, don't we? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're talking about the hearts of the fathers. We're talking about uh, restoring our faith as men, fathers, grandfathers, in Father God so that we can restore our children's faith in us as God's hand extended to himself. This is what God has called us to do and to be. It's part of what we really should be looking at as leaving a legacy for our kids. The legacy that we leave for our kids, from God's viewpoint, has nothing whatsoever to do really with money or houses or lands. It has to do with their innermost being. What did we do to share, reveal in our, in and through our own life, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, to draw our sons and our daughters into the womb of the Father's home. Father God. That's how we will be judged. That's the legacy that we want to leave, or should want to leave. So, if, if we earthly fathers and grandfathers are truly wanting to leave that legacy that lasts, we have to grasp the long-term enduring simplicity of some very foundational precepts. 
that will allow us to be triumph, triumphant in the end. Maybe tough along the lines, but triumphant in the end. So that our fathering labors matter. Now, God the Father was very concerned about this. In fact, so concerned that in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he said that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he would send forth, and the great and terrible day of the Lord, by the way, is the day of the outpouring of God's wrath on the children of disobedience. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the children to the fathers, uh, uh, fathers to the children, lest I strike the earth with a curse. Do you know we're already struck with the curse? Fatherlessness is a curse. The Bible says so. So God, in his mercy and infinite wisdom and, yes, grace, said, look, I'm going to give you an end-time warning. I'm going to set the stage for you because I know what's going to happen. That is, God saying, I know as a father what's going to happen. Father knows best. I know what's going to happen, and fathers are going to fall away. They're going to go AWOL. It's going to cause the family to disintegrate. It's going to cause the world to go into chaos so that they will no longer trust God as Father. They'll trust a counterfeit. They'll be seduced to trust a counterfeit because of fear, because fathers did not step up to the plate to prepare their children. So God says, I'm going to... In my mercy, I'm going to send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. And I'll tell you, when I was looking at that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Son, that's what I want you to do. I want you to address the men, the fathers and grandfathers in the church to give them a hope, and a vision for what it really means to be a godly father as the father's hand extended to their kids. And so I wrote the book, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy that Lasts. I can almost guarantee you that there's not been another book about fathering written like this book. When Joseph Farah the founder of WorldNet Daily and uh, uh, the founder of America's first Christian, truly online news agency, heard about this book, the manuscript. He asked me to send it to him, and I did. And he actually begged me to publish this book. It's the only book that I have written that's been published by someone else since my very first book. Otherwise, we have published all of our books under the moniker Elijah Books. Why do we choose the name Elijah Books? Because that's exactly what God has called us to do for these end times, to prepare the way of the Lord 
just as Elijah prepared the way of the Lord there in Israel. If you remember, and that's why the Jewish people every year at Passover are putting out a chair for Elijah because they expect him to come back. Look, today on Viewpoint, you are hearing the Elijah message. You are. It is the next to last message that God brings to the earth before Christ's coming. You say, wow, really? Yes, it is. There are two messages that God brings to the earth before Christ's coming. The first is calling the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Because God wants to restore his order in the earth. And it requires fathering, godly fathering. The next message is the final message, and we find it in Revelation chapter 14. The final message is delivered by an angel who comes and declares to the world these three things. Fear God, glorify him, and worship him that made heaven and earth. And then the end comes. Fear God, glorify him. In other words, raise him up above everything else and worship him that made heaven and earth. In other words, admit that God is the creator, that evolution did not create. Because if you believe in evolution, you cannot worship God who made heaven and earth. It's impossible. So the angel's message is so profound and so simple. Fear God, glorify him, and worship him that made heaven and earth. Now, if fathers and grandfathers will grasp the significance of this, that the first thing that they must do is have their hearts turned toward God the Father. And they will not do that. Men, you will not do that unless you fear God. You will not. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything. It's the foundation for everything. And fathers must return to the fear of the Lord. So turning is the first of the seven triumphant truths. Turning. Turning and returning. God the Father says this. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. You say, well, I'm a Christian. How can you say return unto me? Well, that's exactly the problem, friends. We have a lot of professing Christians out there that are not 
listening to or following the Father. They're in rebellion against the Father and against his household, the ways of his household. And if that were not true, we wouldn't have a massive divorce culture in America. We have a massive divorce culture in America with over a million children every year since 1968 left as virtual orphans, yes, even in God's house, because we repudiated and disrespected and dissed the will of Father God. It's simple. Don't like to hear it, but it is true. And our pastors have become complicit in it because they have blessed these divorces and remarriages when Jesus called them adultery. The pastors are complicit in it. They have not understood the simplicity of the meaning of the fear of the Lord. You say, well, how about the grace of God? Or how about the mercy of God? Yes, but the fear of the Lord proceeds at all because the fear of the Lord, you see, is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot even understand the grace of God or the mercy of God without first having a profound understanding of the fear of the Lord. You will not obey God. Did you know that the Bible says the mercy of the Lord is extended only to those who fear him? Did you know that? I'll bet you didn't. But it's true. Did you know that the grace of God is not there to overlook your willful sin? It's there to enable you to obey God, notwithstanding your struggle as a human being. We've got it so much upside down, so backwards. We're so confused. No wonder our kids are confused. No wonder they can't figure it out. No wonder 80% of professing Christian young people today do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Did you know that? It's true. Look, dads, grandfathers, we have to return to the Father who is full of grace and truth just like Jesus. And the next thing, oh, friends, there are six more we're going to share with you. They are so powerful. Only trust him. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
Men have fallen so far off the pedestal in American society, even in Christian homes, that they're struggling just to keep their head above water. That's right. So I want to share something just briefly with the ladies listening to the program today. Because men have gone away AWOL, well, in our families, no question about it. They've lost the vision. They pursued other legacies, other avenues. They have not valued the kingdom of God. They have not valued or understood the nature of spiritual leadership. And so, ladies, you've tried to step in. Some of you haven't necessarily tried to step in, but you've tried to cajole your husband to step in. And instead, he's, you've driven him away. So here's what I want to say. Look, I understand your plight. Believe me, I understand your plight. Somebody's got to do it, right? If my husband isn't going to do it, then I've got to do it. I understand that. But now, men, you're listening. Ladies, if you see your man beginning to respond to this message, no matter how ineptly he may be doing it, don't get on his back. Get on his side. Don't get on his back. Get on his side. Encourage him alongside. Let him begin to develop. He's afraid that you're going to put him down. I had one lady, a pastor's wife, in a group of pastors a number of years ago, and we were around the room, and we were praying and sharing with one another, and I asked this particular wife to pray. And there was a dead silence. And then you know what she said? I can't pray. You'll make fun of me. You know who she was talking to? Her pastor husband. That's right, her pastor husband. Now, there are a lot of men who feel exactly like that, that if they do something, their wife will make fun of them. Look, we're in this together, friends. This is survival. This is the enduring direction that you and I have to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour in our families. That's your job. That's my job. Take it seriously. God is going to judge us on this issue. That's why the next to last message that he gives is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of children to the fathers. Let's get in this together. Now, the first of these triumphant truths is, men, we must return to the Father. We must begin by restoring the fear of the Father or the Lord in our lives. It's the beginning of everything. If you do not fear him, you will not obey him. You say, well, I love the Lord, and that's why I obey him. No, you don't obey him. If you obeyed him, we would not have the catastrophic consequences that we have in our country today, even in God's house. We wouldn't have it. The word obey has fallen on very hard terms. In fact, it is deemed a four-letter word in the church today, the most hated word in the church today. 
We don't obey the Father. And if we don't obey the Father, from his perspective, we don't love him either. Just like you don't think your kids love you when they diss you every time you speak. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works. Now, the next point is we have to trust the Lord. Trust is the process of restoration. And we can't rebuild trust with our sons and daughters until we rebuild trust with God the Father. So our turning back to him precedes trust. And trust then precedes our ability to effectively teach or receive truth that has to be communicated to our sons and daughters. So the holiness of truth is colored or camouflaged by hypocrisy that harms our yearned-for legacy. And trust is first established in the fear of the Lord, resulting in progressively in faith in the Lord our Father. And faith is progressively revealed in obedience to the Father through increasing trust. So, no wonder we're told, trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. So I want to ask you a question, my men friends out there. Do your children or grandchildren know that you really trust God? I'm not talking about believe in God. Even the devil believes in trembles. Come on, don't give yourself a kudo for that. God wants us to trust him, to take him at his word. And that brings us to the next uh, item, truth. So the very concept of truth has become almost obsolete in our culture, hasn't it? Fewer than 50% of professing Christians now believe in absolute truth, believe it or not. Less than 10% of our younger generation claiming the name of Christ admit to anything approaching absolute truth. And only 20% of those professing Christians under 35 believe Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the only way, the only truth, the only life. That should be pretty frightening for us as fathers, don't you think? Why? Well, because the wrath of God, the Father, is going to rest on our falsely led sons and daughters who are not convinced through personal conviction to conversion of heart that only he that believes on the Son hath everlasting life. So you say, well, where's the problem then? How could we be in such a purportedly Christian country with a godly heritage and have this horrific state of affairs? The answer is very simple. Christian fathers have progressively abandoned the living truth of the word of the Father in hot pursuit of cultural prosperity, principled, faith-filled living has been painfully sacrificed on the altar of pragmatism. We've become like the Esau generation. All right, next, we have to teach. If trust is our hope for our sons and daughters, truth has to be become a passionate pursuit by fathers, and it has to be communicated. It has to be taught. Well, somebody says something is better caught than taught, but it still has to be taught. It requires both. Truth is the foundation for all legitimate teaching that hopes to yield a godly legacy. 
Unfortunately, though, since truth has fallen on hard times, the teaching of truth has likewise weighed and our legacies are in jeopardy. So, as the Bible says, we're forever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And we're living in the perilous times that Paul wrote of. So our sons and our daughters are in peril. Do you believe that? If you do not believe your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren are in peril, you are living in a fool's paradise. So our essential role as teachers, both by precept and example, we have to become lovers of the truth. So the Father, God, has deputized all fathers and grandfathers and spiritual fathers for such a time as this. You and I are called to the kingdom for such a time as this. We just are. Accept it. Ask the Lord to reveal the significance of that to you. No matter how painful the conviction may be, don't resist it because then you will open the way for Satan's condemnation in your life, and that ain't fun. Is it? So the next thing, training. The Bible says you should train up a child in the way he should go. Teaching is essential, but it has to be followed by training. Information alone is not sufficient. Genuine and consistent application of spiritual truth is almost invariably the missing link in most teaching of the Father's Word, yes, even for the pulpits of America. So there's very little transformation. People are paralyzed by the fear of rejection. Those charged with fatherly teaching and training are reluctant to make the application of Father's truth that are most likely to produce profound change. Why is that? Because the risk of seeming personal rejection is deemed too great. So pastors won't even do it. In reality, we're just not ready to go to the cross with Jesus, who lovingly yet boldly took those risks with a long-range view to eternal destiny. We've got to have a long-range view, guys. And our Father is watching over his word to perform it. But we have to present it and live it and train our children to follow it. The next, testing. Trust is going to be tested. It will. Trust has to be tested to be validated. Your children's trust in you has to be tested. God's trust in you is tested. Look at the scriptures over and over again, the testing that comes. As children find they can trust their father's promises and practices, so the foundation is laid line upon line for their ability to trust the Heavenly Father with his promises. You see how this works? This is critical, my friends. The legacy that you and I leave is going to be measured by how our children perceive that you and I pass the test of trust, trusting in the Lord. Even Jesus had to pass the test of trust right there in the wilderness. And by the way, the legacy of humankind lay in the balance when he was tested. Just like the legacy of your children lays in the balance when you're tested. 
when I'm tested, and believe me, we're tested. Tribulation. That's the next one. Remember seven truths. Severe testing builds substantial trust. Trust is built and strengthened through its exercise, and that's called faith. And without such increasing faith built of tested trust, it is impossible to please the Father. For he that comes to him has to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligence to seek him. So tribulation of fathers becomes essential for their sons to pass the trust test. So our attitudes toward tribulation will often determine the actions of our kids. And our legacy will depend on how we respond during periods of severe testing that reveals whether we have a genuine or counterfeit trust. And then finally, triumph. That's where we want to end up, right? We want to be succeed. We want to succeed. We want to triumph. Testing and tribulation always precede triumph. If there's no battle, no struggle, then there's no possible victory, right? Victory always follows successful testing through some measure of tribulation. So, the question that I have for you then, and the question that God as Father has for you is, what are you doing as a father, as a grandfather, to prepare your sons and daughters and grandchildren for the coming times of greater testing of trust and faith? What are you doing? Are you even doing that? That's not going to happen unless the hearts of the fathers are truly turned toward their children. And the children, in turn, are seeking their father's proven faith. And eternal destiny is at stake. This is the Elijah moment, friends. History is hinging on your decision and mine as a dad, as a grandfather, and we can't procrastinate anymore. We cannot procrastinate anymore. Time is knocking at the door of destiny right now. Get a copy of this book. It'll encourage your heart. Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, a hardbound book, a $23 book on our website, saveus.org. It's either $15 or $18 there on the website. I don't know. Go get the book. Write to us, call us, go to the website, and become a true father before God. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint.